Hello, welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast. This is episode 8 for uh, January 25th, 2014. 15. 15. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Uh, I'm Jeremy Mendelson. Um, this is our usual crew. I'm a transit planner and advocate. Um, we have uh, our usual crew here, and we also have... Uh, our canine companion as well. <laughs> uh, I'm Mark Abunia, and I'm the curator of our blog and social media feeds. Uh, by day, I'm an IT sysadmin, and by night, I'm the Leslie Nope of transit, geeking out over meeting celebrities in transit and getting knee-deep in advocacy. And I'm Josh Fairchild. Uh, I work in commercial real estate by day, and I'm a huge transit enthusiast um, at night and all other times also. And uh, as Jeremy was referring to, we're joined by uh, my dog, Ella. She's a cockapoo. Coming up on today's show, after we talk about the latest news in the transportation world, we take a look at the Boston 2024 Olympics bid and take a look at what that means for transportation and uh, what are some of the potential uh, opportunities and challenges coming up as far as uh, transportation is concerned. So um, stay tuned for that. Uh, that is as soon as we dig out from the blizzard of 2015 and uh, get to some of the news. And uh, props to everybody at uh, the MBTA and elsewhere who is uh, helping get the system back up and running. The newest Secretary of Transportation for the Commonwealth, named by Governor Baker a couple weeks ago now, uh, Stephanie Pollock, and uh, the, uh, the community of transportation advocates was pretty excited about this uh, appointment. Uh, she was formerly at the Dukakis Center, I'll mess it up, Dukakis Center for Urban... Transit, I believe. Mark, <laughs> you take it from here, please. <laughs> She's, uh, yeah, she, she basically is a uh, transit transit policy expert, and she knows she knows a lot about uh, about the the struggles and trials and tribulations of transportation uh, in in the in in Boston. So so she'll be she'll be a good advocate for for the T. Uh, this will be an interesting uh, policy or an interesting move going forward, considering um, the. A lot of the East-West Massachusetts politics that happens in the state house, so uh, we have we have great hopes for her, but we'll see what happens. Dukakis Center for Urban and Regional Policy. There we go. And they've come out with several studies about transportation. Specifically, she has been one of the people who has studied uh, um, transportation and the way it serves or doesn't serve adequately minority communities, specifically yes. the Hispanic community uh, in the greater Boston area. Yeah, Stephanie Pollock has done a lot of great work in, in this area, and uh, I, have, I, I know a couple of people who have studied under her, and um, yeah, this is, this is exciting, and you know, we'll see, uh, see where this goes, we'll wait to, wait to hear more from her in the, in the coming months. Yeah, absolutely. and I think the best part about this is we, a lot of people were, I think, probably understandably concerned when we had a Republican co- governor coming in, and he was talking a lot about um, you know, not raising new revenues and all these things, kind of saying some things that people would be concerned about if they were progressive, especially on any issue, if not only for transportation. And so this is an appointment that I think caught a lot of people off guard Yeah, uh, in a really good way. Yeah. 
Well, uh, and then I guess next on the on the roster of new transportation leadership includes uh, Gina Fiendaka, who is who has been appointed to uh, Boston Department for Transportation's uh, I guess what, the chair or the director, the commissioner, so, commissioner. There we go, commissioner for transport. <laughs> so, um, according to uh, the the very brief presser that was sent out, um, she's worked in the transportation department since 1990, and she's helped the city's uh, improve the city's. I'm sorry, implement the city's web-based system for paying parking tickets and the Bark, uh, the Park Boston app, which is the uh, a smartphone app that's currently available to, uh, I believe, find and reserve or find and pay for parking spaces um, in certain parts of the city, specifically, I think, at the waterfront where it's restricted at the moment, uh, which is... Um, well, I think that the app was announced officially by Mayor Walsh in his State of the City address. Right, right, and yes. at that point, I looked, and it's only working in certain parts of the Back Bay right okay, now. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, and she had previously worked as the director of the Office of the Parking, parking Clerk and had been serving as the Interim Deputy Transportation Commissioner since uh, May of 2014. So, and that was when we had our last outgoing uh, Transportation Commissioner. Um, she has strong Walsh, uh, Mayor Walsh claims that she has strong relationships with community advocates. Um, we don't really have that much information about, uh, Ms. Fiendaka, so we'll see, we'll see where she goes with this. Um, we were talking earlier about how being a, ha- being a specialist, it seems like, uh, having a long history in parking, um, that may or may, may or may not bode well for the city of Boston if she's a shoepista, uh, somebody who follows the new age, we might call it new age, uh, uh, principles on, on parking management, then this might be really great, uh, because as it, as it turns out at the moment, um, a lot of battles that happen in public meetings for new developments and transportation improvements happen around, uh, parking and how Boston really doesn't have a really good, uh, um, parking plan so we've talked about this previously in in podcasts so we'll see where that goes despite her despite mayor walsh saying that she has strong community advocate relationships i don't know if that's in the transit community um because it seems like i don't the people that i know in the transit advocacy community don't seem to know her that well <laughs> yeah, i don't want to speak for you guys i don't and i don't know if you you know if this is your case yeah, but i i never heard of her before so if we have listeners out there that have heard of her, please, you know, let us know what you think of, about the appointment. But one of the things I was thinking over my head just now was that this this may be I, th- I thought at first, well, Mayor Walsh may have really gotten this one wrong. But maybe what he's seeing is, you know, parking is the go to issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every Bostonian, will, you know, if if it's somebody's going to build a house next to next door to me, the first objection is, oh, well, if it's more than one family and there's, you know, that's more cars than can fit in the driveway, parking is an issue. And if it's the Olympics, parking and traffic are the issues. And if it's anything else, it's always parking. Right. So maybe this is someone who can say, as she's implementing new transportation policies, she can, she can come from the parking area and assage people's fears yeah. that she understands parking and she's on their side because right. she came from that department. So maybe, maybe that's what we'll see. So I'm, I'm excited if, if that could be the case. Right. I'm definitely looking forward to comprehensive parking parking management as opposed to just kind of parking planning. Planning for parking. I mean, sorry, managing the existing parking supply rather than planning for new spaces, which is uh, something that a lot of people might say that they have, they take great umbrage with. But, uh, you know, hey, it's 2015 and we're moving forward. So uh, that said, uh, the, Green Line Feder- the Green Line finally got its federal grant um, actually issued uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
Uh, you've probably heard this in the news repeatedly over and over about this this federal grant, and the base, basically this was a big issue because the federal government didn't really trust us for that sort of granting, after, especially after the big dig. So um, it was a major issue that um, it was major news that it finally got uh, got issued to us. So yeah, I don't know why they didn't trust us. I mean, we. Everything went so well with the big dig. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, when you lend, when you when you loan, uh, when sorry, not even loan, when you give someone twenty two point four billion dollars, I, I mean, I I, I, su- I suppose that you expect them to spend it wisely, but, <laughs> um, but expect that, them to follow through with all the mitigation yeah. uh, commitments. Well, I don't know. Kind thing. of the ironic, the ironic <laughs> thing is that if if we hadn't if we hadn't got this federal grant, it's incredibly, it would have been incredibly unlikely. Uh, rather, rather, it would have been cre- incredibly unlikely <laughs> that we would have built this uh, this project, which is actually mitigation for the big dig, which they were not trusting us on anyway. So, and this is something I wanted to mention about uh, <laughs> Stephanie Pollock being the new uh, Secretary of Transportation. Yes, um, is that you know the Dukakis Center? Which well, she she worked. She's been at Dukakis Center for a while, but right. um, before that, she was at the Conservation Law Foundation. Yes, uh, also known as the CLF, which. Uh, you may remember was instrumental in suing the state uh, many times over the course of many years to force them to implement these mitigation, transit mitigation things they said they were going to do during the big dig. And the Green Line extension being one of those. I think they sued them several times over the Green Line extension. Yes. Yes. And it still took 30 years. So thanks to them for that. Hat tips to the CLF. Yes, and and Stephanie Pollock. um, (laughs) So... uh, Oh, I remembered what I wanted to say about... um, the uh, uh, Gina Fiandaka with the parking situation. I, I remembered just last week, and I think we talked about this earlier too, there was an article in the Globe about how uh, there's no limit on the number of parking permits uh, in, in many of the neighborhoods in Boston. Mm-hmm. There's on-street residential parking, and you'll see the sign, resident parking only here, and the city gives out permits for these, but they don't charge for the permits. Yes, they don't. And so the Globe sort of did an expose on how there's people, you know, like specifically, you know, in South Boston, the North End, the South End, who may have 10 parking permits. Yep. And uh, so it was, you know, a very splashy kind of article. And I think the reality of the situation is that probably people aren't parking all 10 of their cars on the street. Uh, I think they mentioned one of the guys, it, it was like a Ferrari and a Porsche and something else. I don't think he's parking those on the street overnight <laughs> usually. But uh, what caught me off guard is I thought, wait a minute, I used to live in Brookline and we had these parking permits and you couldn't even park overnight. You still had to pay $50 a year or $40 a year for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is something that maybe she could push forward in the future is maybe we should start charging for these at some point. Right. I don't know. Maybe it would be, uh, say, another revenue stream for for the city and also maybe deal with that whole neighbor fighting fighting tooth and nail over that over that space that they in front of their house that they feel entitled to but legally not obligated to i mean you know any well <laughs> uh we'll we'll see what happens fo- going forward with that but yeah that's that's definitely a major point that she's gonna have to address well, we need to challenge her to, to uh give up her parking space at city hall yes <laughs> she was interviewed in uh in boston boston you know and uh she says so they asked how she commuted and she said the, the beauty of east boston is whether i drive or take the t i can be in the office in 15 minutes i usually drive but you can't beat the t Apparently, she lives in Orient Heights, and so she wishes she could run to work, but, you know, East Boston. Um, well, yeah. So, I mean, it's like she's sort of saying, see, Blue Line is great, but I usually drive, and so I, maybe we can challenge her to, mm. to, to uh, leave her at home. Yeah. We should challenge her to bike to work, and then she can see how, uh, how bad that is. <laughs> yes, especially from East Boston. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I was going to say, is maybe. that allowed? No. 
Okay, yeah. I've always wondered. No. A... It's a circuitous route through Chelsea. It takes you right through the produce market. It's a notoriously bad bike route. Yes. Is that the protected? Uh, there's there's a bike lane that goes through Chelsea, isn't there? Is that am I thinking of the right thing, or is that um, Medford maybe? Nope. Not that not I know Medford of. either. She'd ha- she'd basically have to go <laughs> up and around, but. Okay. In any case, <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, and also transit the transit diaries themselves uh, saw a full uh, a full launch. If you haven't participated, basically this is a uh, program where you go to a website and you report, um, you know, your routine, your 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 daily transit. Uh, what what's a good way to put it? Tri- tribulations, trials and tribulations. Um, so uh, that that should be interesting. While you know, there's definitely other better ways to get get customer data. Uh, this is uh, one of the T's ways of trying to get your voice. So uh, kind of uh, throw throw that search it in, uh, into your favorite search engine, MBTA Transit Diary, and you can go ahead and sign up and uh, start giving them your uh, your peace of mind. So speaking of things being launched, uh, Bridge uh, the the bus the private bus shuttle company uh, did uh, launch their app which I believe you can find in the iTunes store now. Previously, they were selling all their tickets uh, just on their website. So now they have an app for that. If that's something that you're interested in, you should get download the app, check it out, and give us your feedback, please. Uh, the next. Okay, so a few weeks ago, there was a, I saw this article that the RFP went out from the MBTA for the new DMUs. So these would be the DMUs, uh, diesel multiple units, uh, as opposed to electric multiple units, uh, which would run on commuter lines. Uh, we're going to the system generally is being called the Indigo Line, starting with the Fairmount Corridor, and uh, this is what would also be running from Newton along, and you guys correct me if I say something wrong here, um, the Boston Landing Station, mm-hmm. the Boston Landing Station to the West Station, the Beacon Park Yards, uh, possibly over the BU Bridge, across the Grand Junction, and in, in North Station. Um, there's, there's many applications for this, but these are the corridors that have been identified. Oh, also the other corridor that was identified was from the uh, Back Bay Convention Center, or basically the Back Bay Station, yes. uh, to the BC- BCEC. But that's uh, neither here nor there. But Did you mention Fairmount Line as well? Yes, okay, yeah, yes. that's where we're starting. That's the first place these will be implemented. I just want to clarify for people, because I think we haven't talked about this in a while. So these diesel multiple units is basically, think of like a red line subway car that like runs on diesel fuel. It has its own... Computer rail. Yes. Exactly. Right. So, so instead of a third rail, it's got it's, right. got its own... So it's supposed to be more efficient and just easier to run like shorter, you know, shorter, shorter service to like augment these commuter rail lines and increase frequency. And, yeah. and the nice thing is you can start with just one car and as you, as the system, is as more customers are riding, then you can add another car and another car and another car as opposed to the commuter lines that we have right now. You've got a big diesel um, locomotive, and it's pulling several cars, and it doesn't really make sense for them to pull only one car. Also, the diesel multiple units, and of course, as, as everyone knows, electric multiple units, which are basically subway cars, um, the diesel multiple units can uh, speed up and slow down quicker, so headways can be managed better um, with DMUs, and they can have tighter schedules. Yep. So the, uh, the RFP will be out until April, um, and of course, we're not expecting these, these cars to be... Um, on MBTA lines until 2020 or 2021. Yep. So Amazing. That's, what is it, seven years? And, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, you always get excited when you hear the RFP, and then it's going to be so many years away. Um, and, and then we may have issues with uh, bearings or something like that, and we have to right. take the cars out of commission for a year, uh, like, like the Globe Exposed this week with the new locomotives for the commuter line. Um, one of the things that was brought up in the same article was um, one of the MBTA representatives was mentioning that uh, having the DMUs would only exacerbate the crowding issues at North and South Station. So um, 
keep that in mind that as we do this, we're going to have to, this becomes the pinch point where we implement DMUs is where we're going to have to deal with expansion of South Station or as we always like to refer to the North-South Rail Link is, is the favorite project, at least for me. So, I'm sorry, that, just to clarify, that's actually Paul uh, Paul Regan from the MBTA Advisory Board. So, oh, right. Um, so yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, but I'm sorry. Go the, and to clear, and to let everybody know, the Advisory Board yes. is basically a citizen's panel that gives input to um, to the MBTA and the, and the Department of Transportation. For, for financing issues. Right. They don't have any actual political power. That's right, yeah. Um, what's interesting about this is that we, they're soliciting 30 of these cars, but, you know, there's still, we still haven't ha- heard any details on, I mean, we've had some, we heard some proposals, but like, for example, the Grand Junction is very controversial in Cambridge. It's like we've, no, there's, it hasn't been like an agreed upon service that these are going to run on. And so, <laughs> I mean, maybe they're just going to put the bid out and, you know, they're not going to, you know, issue any, any, um, yeah, well, if they'll, contacts, be, but... if they'll be on the Fairmount corridor first, I don't think that I don't think there's going to be any okay. objections yeah. to them running on. So that, that's going to be the, okay. the proof is that's where we'll try it out. That's where we'll work out all the kinks in the system, and then we'll talk about expanding it to other areas. Yeah, because that's the the big issue. First is going to get is going to be getting these these units on property because uh, there's so few uh, different manufacturers that actually produce vehicles that comply with federal standards on these types of vehicles yeah. that uh, I mean we do have one one set by a Japanese company that's actually running in Toronto and they just received their shipment so if anything they might be the ones bidding on this RFP we'll see but so um, we we may be the second in North America the second city in North America to have DMUs is no so there are definitely cities that have DMUs but several of them because they're on new, completely new lines that are fully separated from any other tra- types of traffic or or otherwise they operate they're they're separated from, from freight traffic in the sense that freight traffic isn't allowed to run during the time that they're running service they're able to buy off the shelf uh, products that do comply or otherwise uh, right, so they're able to buy those off the shelf product, products because they can say to the federal government look we don't have to worry about these passenger trains running into heavy freight trains because they'll never be in conflict. But then that also comes uh, that also comes full circle with the FRA's issues. For with, example, yeah. for example, the Orange Line runs on heavy rail, but it its tracks are separate from yes the the, the tracks that are right next to it, um, right. which could be yes. Yeah, so, I mean, off. freight trains do run occasionally on the northeast corridor for for off 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 hours movements um it's those what's just kind of astounding is is we we base these these safety measures on those rare chances when freight right. train freight is there not you know to and to be to be fair there are other quarters not just here but in Bo- in Boston but also around the US where there is more high frequent uh freight uh freight traffic where passenger trains are in danger of, of running into each other, uh, into other freight trains, like in Chicago. But um, this isn't something that hasn't been resolved by signaling. So, does, so are we definitely running currently freight trains on the Fairmount line? No, I don't believe okay. that there's anything okay. of that nature right now. Um, but I, I believe the. But any cars that we purchased would have to run on any line that we might run them on, and some of those lines might have freight trains. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, they, maybe that's how it's envisioned, but that's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Right. Yeah. So, and also to clarify, because I, I did think, is there another city in the in, in the United States right now 
um, that is running DMUs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. uh, Texas, okay. some, some, I think San Antonio or something like that for their commuter rail. Uh, a number of the new lines are doing the yeah. push-pull method where it's like what we have here, locomotive on fr- mm-hmm. in front and then uh, pass- unpowered passenger cars in the back. And then very rarely do you see uh, those DMUs, but I'm pretty sure there's New one Jersey in Texas. Has them, and, yep, New Jersey. Line. Yep. Okay. Um, there's one, I believe there's one in California. I want to say yes. Ace. Yes. Altamont Commuter Express, or maybe I think that's so. a. I don't know. This somebody must know. You can look this okay. up. But a handful, but there are some in yeah. the US. There are a few. Yes, yep. one of the biggest. One of the biggest pushes by the by the FRA, um, or at least some in the in the FRA and transit advocates have been to get the FRA to modernize their legislation. Um, and also take a more progressive approach to safety rather than designing cannonball, you know, like the like the the uh, Acela. Acela is a effectively a tank mm-hmm. uh, that runs at high speed mm-hmm. because it's designed to be able to safely collide with a freight train. Right. So to the extent that's possible, right? Exactly. So okay. So moving on, um, an exciting thing is that a developer was picked by the BRA, the, the Boston Redevelopment Authority, picked a developer, actually out of Miami, to develop the parcel that is on and around Heinz uh, Station, the mm-hmm. Heinz T-Stop. And that's exciting because that developer will be responsible for redeveloping or re- redoing and making accessible the Heinz T-Stop itself. Yes. And so people who are riding in the green line and riding through that station or, or stopping there and saying... Why is Kenmore really nice and Heinz is not nice? And it's because that project to develop that parcel fell apart several years ago. Actually, it's fallen apart several times yes. because it's over the Mass Pike. The financing is extremely difficult. Most recently, it fell apart in 2008, and that's why we still have never seen this um, become accessible, why we have that closed entrance on the back side onto Boylston that only gets mm-hmm. opened up for Comic-Con, I think. Comic-Con and uh, Anime Boston, which they coordinate with the... The T on then the convention center on so right so um, it will happen. <laughs> it's 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 been one of the MBTA's long-standing projects to bring all of the stations into to a level of accessibility. I'd also like to see the tunnel that goes under Mass Ave rehabilitated to allow people to safely cross over there. Because if you if you go on um, as you're uh, looking west from the Heinz, uh, the Heinz entrance on Mass Ave. If you're looking at the ugly bus stop, yes, at the ugly bus stop <laughs> on the far north side of that, uh, there's a there's a gate where that actually used to lead to. Well, it still does lead to a pair right, of, a set of stairs that goes into that connects to a tunnel that goes underneath and then uh, puts you directly in that that you uh, the 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 bend in the station as you're getting into the fair gates um, where there's also another gate that most people probably don't even notice that connects. Well, I hope that it will, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that bus stop is actually going to be integrated into mm-hmm. the building that is built where the bus stop is now too. Mm, good. Because this parcel includes not only the open gap that you see that's roughly a triangle um, as you as you are walking on Mass walking on Mass Avenue, you're crossing over the Mass Pike um, towards the T, the Heinz T stop. If you look to your right, you see sort of a triangle opening over the Mass Pike. That will be part of building that's developed. And then on the other side, where the bus stop is, will also be a building that goes there, and there will be a new bus stop integrated into that, and hopefully also. I know that they have talked about that tunnel being redone. Um, we'll see what happens. Yep, yep, definitely. This is one of those. This is one of those opportunities where we can have 
Um, we can definitely pressure a developer. Well, not pressure. That's a that's a that's a kind of. Um, uh, they may want to. Yeah, they, well. yeah. It, it ties it ties the developer to bring back some uh, some well much needed transportation improvements that would not happen at the cost of the T, which is uh, definitely what we could have done at the Millennium Tower. But that's a completely different story. So uh, uh, yes, let's see. What do we have next on our on our list here? Do you the, want to hear where DMUs are operating in the United States? Sure. Oh, yes. Sure. <laughs> All right. So there's. There are, as you said, there are some non-FRA-compliant vehicles where, the, where there's completely separate um, freight from freight. There's New Jersey Transit, the River Line, like I said, and North Coast Transit District, which is in California, Oceanside, California, to San Diego, and to Escondido. Um, then there's also FRA-compliant vehicles, and the South Florida Regional Transit Authority, uh, testing between, uh, for tri-rail, between uh, Miami and West Palm Beach. Mm, right, so they're in the testing uh, mode right now. TriMet, uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, the West Side Express commuter rail, which is uh, fairly new, um, and there's a couple of other, Denton County, Texas, uh, for its A-Train service. Yes, yeah. I did not know the A train was I, that A train was the one that I was thinking of that was actually not FRA compliant, but I, or at least maybe it is. But I know for a fact that that's an off the market model that they're using that they might have actually just uh, gotten into FRA compliance. After market changes, yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Good. There's also two more: Capital Metro in Austin, Texas, and uh, Sonoma Marin Area Rail Transit. Yes, smart. Well, that hasn't started yet, but they will operate. Good to yes. know. So but the go. the difference, so the the other, just kind of more tech, one more technical piece about buying off the off the market is that generally these mach- these trains are designed for platform heights heights that are much lower than America. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it works. I'm sorry, at least in the Northeast. So it works really well elsewhere where you don't have a lot of infrastructure. Um, it also means that the platform is at a height that's low enough that it doesn't conflict with uh, with freight traffic. Because freight traffic, if you've ever noticed on on the high platforms on the commuter rail, there's a piece that actually uh, looks like it could be collapsed. That's because they, in order to move freight through, they have to collapse that section of the platform so that way it's wide enough for freight cars to go through. So, oh wow, good to know. But anyway, so. Next on our on our uh, bullet list here, before we start jumping into heavier stuff, uh, our, the New Hampshire governor uh, seems to have put her thumb on the scale in favor of commuter rail connections to uh, to New Hampshire from Boston. So this isn't this is a thing that's been ongoing back and forth, back and forth. Um, I believe New Hampshire wants wants commuter rail extended into uh, into it to connect its three major cities, but. Um, there's been funding issues. Who would fund that? Who would operate? Blah blah blah. Uh, I mean, obviously, we have precedent with um, with commuter rail services going into Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and uh, RIDOT pays the MBTA some service, some stipend to help pay for those services. So that's probably the model that we'd see. But it's about the uh, about the construction part that a lot of people have been concerned. There's also the Amtrak Downeaster, which goes through New Hampshire. And I know that it has three stops in New Hampshire, and I know that um, maybe this has changed recently, but I know that for a long time, the uh, New Hampshire was under a lot of fire because they either they weren't paying or they were paying very little. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, Maine was paying the whole cost, and a lot of people were going to Durham and Dover and Exeter. Mm-hmm. So, and I, but there is precedent for that, and it can certainly be done. Yeah, absolutely. So once we get to New Hampshire, maybe we can go all the way to uh, you know Montreal or something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what happens with that, because that's, that's supposed to also be a corridor that's on uh, the... All of these New England states maps for uh, high-speed rail corridors. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, so next, uh, just an update. Last time, Jeremy and I, um, in one of the shows that we that we did last time, we talked about how 
the uh, how MBTA had purchased, or actually Masta had purchased the Framingham Secondary uh, Rail Line, which goes through uh, goes near Gillette Stadium, and that's what's the Fox Foxborough stop, which is only used right now for game days. And uh, the only new news here was that a memorandum of understanding has been reached between the Kraft Group and the MBTA, which basically confirms what everyone was talking about prior to, which was that the Kraft Group will be completely responsible for you know the parking lot. And uh, and they're expecting that there's going to be five daily five trains running daily, uh, expecting to start in December 2016. So that's the news. There is that um, what we talked about in the past uh, seems to at least at this point still be true, and we'll see what happens moving forward. Cool. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing else to say on this matter. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll we'll see what happens. There's um we got uh, we got forward on our tra- uh, on our uh, transit matters. Uh, uh, feed rather on our on our Twitter rather um, an article from one of the l- regional newspapers that kind of took a uh, a less rosy uh, perspective from one from several of the residents and including some of their their representatives who seem to feel These are that Foxborough residents or um, I believe Walpole, Walpole yeah. I believe either Foxborough Walpole residents who are directly adjacent the line and the the uh, the legislators have said, you know, one of them even went as far as calling it MBTA typical MBTA arrogance. Uh, so I'm sure Walpole officials have never been arrogant to the MBTA. <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. Um, and then a uh, quick note on BRT in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, they have they are finally going to be getting their BRT, uh, and that's kind of ties into our larger conversation about about BRT in Boston and, and looking at external examples outside of Massachusetts, uh, especially because Boston or Boston has become the poster child for crappy, I'll even go as far as shitty BRT that isn't quite BRT. And uh, um, the, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what's going on with BRT in Hartford in a later episode. So that takes us into the heavy stuff. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, before we get into yes. the, the heaviest, we'll say um, Jim Aloisi uh, has been writing several opinion pieces that have been featured sometimes in, in the Globe, but mostly he writes for Commonwealth uh, lately. And uh, so he did kind of a third in what seems to be a series of think pieces about um, transportation infrastructure in the Commonwealth. And this time he criticized the Patrick administration, uh, kind of, you know, let the door hit him on the way out, criticizing them about seeking EPA relief uh, for finishing the blue, the blue red line connector, the red blue line connector. And, uh, you know, that ties into what we were talking about earlier about the Conservation Law Foundation, you know, had to sue for the green lines. This is another one of those mitigating um, mitigation commitments that the Commonwealth made uh, as a part of the big dig was to connect the red and, and the blue. And the reason this is important is because this allows you um, to get from Cambridge and points west to the airport uh, without switching to the silver line or switching to the green line and then government center or walking through the tunnel and getting to government center or however you want to do that after government center is finally completed. So he was emphasizing that again. And, you know, really what he did was he wrote this article sort of right after uh, the USOC, which we'll talk about this more later, right after the USO, USOC picked Boston to be the American city to bid for the Olympics. And so he was throwing some ideas out there pretty quickly. Uh, the other thing that he did was he... Um, once again mentioned that we need that he thinks that we should implement high quality BRT along Summer Street from South Station to the BCEC and then to the airport and um, 
And then also he said that we should implement electronic toll. Once electronic tolling is implemented all along the Mass Pike, then we should begin to implement um, uh, peak hour fares to be slightly increased. Um, Maybe they would be increased or not, but peak hour fares, peak rush hour fares, we would take some of that money and give it to transit uh, improvements. So that was one of the ideas that he threw out there. And uh, I, I see a I see a small mention of of uh, that uh, that buzzword um, or I guess buzz buzz term for new revenue uh, vehicle miles traveled tax. Exactly. That might be right. a third rail topic for us here, but um, at least some sort of congestion pricing would definitely be helpful if we can't get eastern uh, western Massachusetts on board with uh, with VMT. Well, it's good to see serious people who have been working in transportation in the Commonwealth for a long time mm-hmm. are willing to put these ideas out there. Oh, yeah. So I think, I think obviously, he probably felt... Company. He thought that it was a good time to put it out there with the Olympic discussion mm-hmm. and with the new administration. Mm-hmm. So. Well, speaking of that blue line, blue line extension, I'm sure that the head, uh, the chair of the Joint Committee on Transportation, Senator Thomas McGee from Lynn, would be more than happy to see that actually come through. I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> that because uh, um, Jim Aloisi in his piece, he talked about the red blue connector, but he also said that we should complete the blue line extension yes, all the way out to Salem. Actually, I guess yeah. maybe, right? maybe. I'm glad to hear these because this is and much better than uh, the stuff that we talked about, the proposed the visionary proposals that we talked about last week. Yeah. I'm very happy about these. Yeah. Um, yeah, these are two big projects, and I'd kind of like to see the. I don't question the blue line extension to Lynn and and possibly further, um, but I'd, maybe it's worth doing a little bit of a of a consideration of what we're trying to achieve with the red blue connector at this point and has that changed over the years mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, absolutely but i think it's and, and maybe it becomes maybe the blue line extension becomes something different mm-hmm. you know maybe instead of going to charles street it goes somewhere else that's useful i, I don't know the park street or something but or continues um, going somewhere or yeah, whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, i would like to see a crossover yeah. into cambridge actually and, and serve cambridgeport Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a reasonable. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that would so, be interesting, actually. But yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> um, so anyway, but I, I think that you know, I'd, I'd love to see us think about that. And yeah, we shouldn't be. Um, maybe we need to get together and uh, sue the state again because <laughs> these things keep need to keep moving forward. Yeah. Well, I, maybe we don't need to sue the state. We've got Stephanie Pollock up there. We she might be able to give us a good reason on why it's not happening. Or or no, sue the state, but not not uh, obviously the state. Not Stephanie Pollock. I yeah. like her. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, big government. Yeah. Uh, so, the, uh, <laughs> we're, real quick footnote about the South Boston Waterfront Plan that was finally released. The uh, the final plan on that uh, again, that's pretty much just uh, a guideline on what these th- these five different agencies um, have come together and said that they want to do. Uh, not, not necessarily set in stone. This is just kind of um, I don't really know what this this what they were looking to achieve. But the biggest thing that we're going to get out of it is uh, shuttle consolidation. Uh, the private consolidation of the private shuttles that go through the waterfront which as we previously mentioned uh comprises more than half or at least half of the um of the number of people who get shuttled around that area uh, outside of the actual mbta routes so we'll talk about that later in another episode so we take a break and then we can uh, talk about the big news sure yeah we can
if you thought that you couldn't get away from the Olympics anytime you, uh, you know, go check out the news recently, don't worry, it's here too. Um, so, and the reason is, is because much of the uh, debate and interest in the Olympics is revolving around the uh, the ability to deal with infrastructure improvements, and specifically, of course, today we're talking about transportation infrastructure. Uh, before we go any further, we want to give our disclaimer. Our disclaimer is, although we have a lot of excited things to say about the potential of Olympics coming to town and the bidding process, Transit Matters is not endorsing Boston hosting the 2024 Olympics, and we cannot speak to whether or not public money will be used for things uh, beyond the promises that have been made by the Boston 2024 campaign. Um, we're not really getting into that debate at all. All we're saying is that we're excited about the opportunity to concentrate and accelerate a lot of much-needed transportation infrastructure uh, and capital investment you know, improvements. So that's where we're coming from at this. Please don't um, argue with us about all the other things that don't have to do with these transportation um, investments may be happening. So, yeah. I mean, again, we'd be happy to talk about the 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 the, tran- the implications of of some of these particular uh, projects that have been proposed. Very few. So we're gonna run we're gonna run down a quick list of of what has been proposed, and, and you don't have to worry about following too closely on this because we'll go ahead and throw it up in the uh, the links if on the on the page that we'll post this on. But basically. Uh, most of these projects aren't going to be projects that are outside of what are what existing what existing needs there are, including uh, let's see the uh, would it circle why that circle? What how I've heard it said it? both ways. What is <laughs> I've never heard of this before, so I, I, whatever it is, maybe uh, we want to explain what it is. Right. So where the um, where the loop is, where Amtrak turns its trains around, um, I believe at the moment there it's it's like. This fresh, uh, fresh goods market, kind of equivalent to Scoogee Market in, in Tokyo, where um, most of Boston's ra- restaurants get their um, get their produce and, and fish and meat and all that. So sort it's of a stuff. wholesale, yeah. It's a wholesale, yes, market. wholesale produce market. Oh, you're talking about like, by, by Newmarket, like kind of closer to Newmarket Square. Uh, well, no, because it's on the other side of 93. Yeah. So okay. this is so this is bound by 93, and then by the red line over at and uh, over at Broadway Station, and then kind of like that that small wedge. That, well, no, right. it's not it's not a small wedge by any means, but that off on the under the big dig there, that's yeah. under the highway there. That's um, so know. so basically, uh, you know, it's between Andrews and South Station. Yeah. East of I ninety three. Yep. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, so oh, I mean, okay. that's so that that would be that would create a new neighborhood by by building a platform, kind of not unlike what they're doing over in New York City with um, uh, what what they did with Atlantic Yards and what they're doing right now with. Uh, what's that called? Um, Man- the Manhattan? No, no, Man- Manhattan Yards. West. Pro- yes, Hudson Yards. Manhattan West Project is completely different, um, but not not too unsimilar in uh, to dissimilar in the sense that they're also plat- uh, building a platform. So over that. what they say? I mean, it's all. And this is the thing we need to say. The other disclaimers. Everything that has been proposed so far is just that a proposal. It was yes. just enough of. It was just enough of thinking through these things to think. Could it happen? Yes. Let's show the USOC, the U.S. Olympic Committee, that this is how we think we could do it. Mm-hmm. And they were convincing enough for the USOC to choose us. Yep. Um, now they will actually determine what what will happen. And uh, in in their meeting last week, that was that was held, um, their first public meeting, uh, the committee, Boston twenty twenty four, said thirty to fifty percent of these things should be expected to to change potentially. Yep. So so that, that should be noted. But at this point, they have been very good about saying we. 
only want to go through with projects that are already in the pipeline. Um, and by the pipeline, we don't necessarily mean funded. Um, we yes. do need to be clear about that. But projects that have already been identified as needing to happen um, and are basically on the books as far as they're on a list of projects right. that um, that has been endorsed by MassDOT or the MBTA or the legislature. For general needs of the Commonwealth exactly. and Boston. Exactly. Not- they're, they're, not, they're not talking about building new transportation infrastructure that is not already something that, 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 that is needed. Right. Now, we were mentioning... Um, would at circle because this is what's called midtown. This is where they're talking about building the Olympic stadium and, and things like that. And what would happen here is they would, they're talking about building a platform over the current rail yard that's there, allowing the rail yard to still be used uh, for storage and maintenance and things like that. And that platform would then later be used as a platform for further development, residential, yep. perhaps office, things like that on top of the platform. Just like Hudson yards right now, which is right. As it turns out, uh, going really, really quickly if you haven't had a chance to see that. But anyway, in any case, uh, that could be a model for what goes forward with that um, if it turns out we don't keep the Olympic Stadium. But um, even the opportunity of unlocking more yeah. housing and yeah. office yeah. space um, yeah. just outside of uh, so close to downtown is, uh, is another big opportunity. And we, you know, we'd love to see that happen. Um, but again, uh, that's, that's a big if, if the Olympics have actually do get, um, awarded to, to Boston and that's, that's still two years away. So, um, we'll, we'll talk more critically. Again, our focus is going to be more critical analysis of, of what these projects could be or, or, or kind of optimistic, uh, views of, of seeing these projects accelerated because if that's, if, if anything happens that that'll probably be the, the closest thing to, to transportation benefits for the, for the Olympics. That's what happened in London where, uh, they already had tons of projects, but the, the projects just got accelerated with this additional infusion of, of, uh, funding from the central government. So, right. And it's all, I mean, the exciting thing is it's already beginning to concentrate the conversation. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people in the public, uh, unfortunately in the news media also, that didn't even know what these projects were mm-hmm. um, before this presentation was made, before they began to see the plans that were that were put out um, to the USOC. And so now people are going to start talking about these transportation projects that are sorely needed in the area, but, but now people are going to say, hey, yeah, that would be a really good thing to happen. Um, they what What was in the bid packet was um, basically they were touting all of the investments, as, as I said, that were already, you know, quote unquote, in the pipeline. And they were bragging or touting, basically what they were doing is they were not saying these are transportation imp- improvements that are needed to host the games. They were saying these are transportation improvements that our state is making or will, it plans to make, and it would it would help us host the game. And they identified $12.4 billion in investment. Um, I went through the list and I found what I, by my calculation, around $800 million in financing that hasn't yet been secured. Now, that's one of the things that people who are, especially the No Boston Olympics um, group or people on that side of the fence, they're going to get pretty hung up on the fact that some of these projects that are, quote unquote, in the pi- pipeline, actually, we haven't figured out how to pay for them yet. Right. And, and, if, and that's the case whether or not we have the Olympics. Yeah. That it's it's not it's not really going to come into focus until um, until it is clear that Boston will be getting that bid. 
uh, and at which point we can definitely get more federal assistance on that. <laughs> well, again, just like the uh, just like the Green Line uh, Green Line extension that we were just talking about uh, may be contingent on significant significant commitments on the Commonwealth of Massachusetts first before the federal government does its uh, does, does its match. We'll we'll see if that that plays into uh, consideration. But there's two yeah. different levels of funding that we should address as far as. Um, funding that the, maybe the financing hasn't been figured out yet, um, because as we're talking tonight about, uh, or on this podcast, about funding that's that's not ava- that we haven't figured out the financing yet for, we're talking about projects that have been identified and the state has said they want to do it, but we haven't figured out how to pay for it, as opposed to, for example, the, the um, blue, or sorry, blue, the red and orange line car procurement. Um, that's an example of funding that his, the funding has been committed, and the legislation has been passed to pay for it, but some of that legislation has fallen apart. So, for example, with the gas tax indexing that was stripped away from the recent funding uh, in the last election, now there's a hole, a gap between the funding that has been set aside to pay for uh, the procurement of the new vehicles, and there's not actually going to be revenue there. So we have to figure out a way to find it. That's a different situation um, than, for example, the uh, South Station expansion, which we've said we want to do, but we haven't set aside the money for it yet. And the South Station expansion is also going to be mostly federally funded as, a, as far as... Because um, uh, Amtrak is going to be con- con- uh, contributing some some of that. So This is the big thing that I'm going to keep coming back to is, is, is the money. You know, mm-hmm. we... There is. These are all, as we said, these are all things that we've identified as as needing to be done or we want to be done. Um, but you know, we're not having any money. And the 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 Olympic bid. I'm not sure what the committee is called. The, the committee that's trying to get the Olympics in Boston. Boston 2024. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Boston 2024 is very is interested in using this to say, as Josh said, to put forward like, look, this is what we're doing. We're really serious about this, and you know, we're good candidates here. Um, now the Olympic Committee is not really that interested in probably in you know who has to pay for it uh, you know sort of as long as it gets done um, you know this is and so are we the the key here is does this help us in any way you know do we get useful money that's going to pay for some of these things um, or are we still sort of in this position where oh, you know, we need these, these are good projects and we're going to find a way to pay for them out of, you know, some revenue that we still have to come up with, some still public money that we still don't know, mm. uh, or, uh, and, and maybe they're just never going to get done, um, or is there actual revenue coming in? And also the other thing I'm concerned about is the operating costs, right? So even if even if some private money, you know, Coca-Cola or somebody else comes in with money to, you know, to build the, the uh, you know, I don't know, the, they put a new BRT system or whatever it is, um, you know they they can get they'll pay for all the capital costs. They're not going to pay for operating costs in 2025. Right. So I mean, this is something that that I think we need to keep in mind. Right. And, uh, really, sort of, you know, try to come up with a with a means of figuring this out. The T has been very resistant to a lot of expansion because they are so burdened with the cost of what they already have. Right. Right. Um, and a lot of it is capital capital funding that, or rather, capital debt. The, uh, sorry, I'm going to say that one more time. <laughs> Debt that has been that is a result of capital investment, previous capital investment, um, 
where to to put this in more everyday person terms, you have a student loan or a mortgage. You pay for that capital cost out of your monthly operating budget. That's what the MBTA has to deal with. Because even though we do have the silver line, even though we have um, new blue line cars, uh, they because out of a lack of either grants or um, or dedicated funding, they had to take out loans effectively, and they're having to pay for those loans uh, in order to, well, I guess, con- continue to keep up on their <laughs> on their payments and, and, and not have somebody knocking on their door to the, repossess the scene. Yeah, system. and the important thing about it is that any, whenever this expansion is yeah. that people think, oh, this is, you know, $20 million or whatever it costs to build the thing. Right. And, you know, okay, it's going to cost, you know, X million dollars a year, right. every year to operate it. So, so the, the hope could be that... Um, that these these improvements not just add a burn into the MBTA on it in its in its finances on the operating side, but also do in uh, build more ridership. Um, I mean, per 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 mile, a lot of these a lot of these improvements, or in some in some instances where there's stations, um, they'll they'll definitely be adding riders who can who can add more money to the system uh we'll see how much more but it's that's definitely not the end of the conversation um it's uh i mean (laughs) except for maybe uh south coast rail right i don't see any project on here that is not going to be immediately pretty popular as far as ridership Mm -hmm. the question would be is that ridership uh simply um, alleviating overcrowding issues on other lines in yeah. the same system, at, so in, in which terms it wouldn't actually be extra income, extra revenue, unless it was right. people who are riding buses now are riding, you know, a DMU line, which is right. uh, a higher marginal cost. So there's additional revenue. Um, so is is it the ability to get people out of their cars, basically, yes, into yeah. the system? Is is the question or? or, or <laughs> um, yeah, adding 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 more capacity for people to stop. Having to drive, um, and then again, that might that might be coincident with um, with uh, congestion pricing, uh, which could again add more revenue to the system for either operating or or capital. Costs. And of course, that's not to say that these projects don't need to be done. I mean, they're yeah. surely needed. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is, is going to be interesting is if you think about projects that we've already committed to pay for. So that means we've already set aside future dollars to pay for them. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to happen more quickly, because as we know, things that might right now are saying, oh, it's going to happen by 2020, it actually might not happen until 2030 or 2040 based on the way things tend to happen around here. So if we're going to take projects like that that are already planned to happen before the Olympics and we're going to actually make them happen before the Olympics and then we're going to take other projects that probably wouldn't happen until maybe a decade after the Olympics and we're going to also make those happen before the Olympics – if that was to happen, obviously there's a lot more revenue that we have to come up with. So we're going to have to find, whether it's raising taxes or finding other revenue streams, it's going to have to happen. And that's going to be a really difficult conversation with the public because I think a lot of people in the public are going to be tempted to say, aha, you are raising my taxes for the Olympics. And we have to remember this isn't for the Olympics. This is for legacy projects that are going to be around forever for our transportation system that we've been needing for the past 40 or 50 years. And I think that crunch of it all having to happen so quickly will lead us down the path of creative revenue discussions Mm. that we haven't been willing to have that discussion before because I just don't think that there's going to be an appetite amongst the public for raising the gas tax enough, for raising the cost of writing the T enough, 
for raising people's income taxes enough. We're going to have to have dedicated streams of income for this. And that's where creative things like vehicle miles traveled and different ways of using the income from um, the, the, the Mass Pike or from other congestion area yeah. tolling that we decide to implement at some point. I think that'll be a, a diff- an interesting discussion because the as as you've as as we've been seeing in, in tweets, um, there's this general disbelief that uh, because because the Olympics is time and time again uh, promised to do exactly what we're saying in the terms of. Uh, oh, it'll ex- it'll bring these improvements and blah blah blah. A lot of people, a lot of people really are seeing this this trend of overblown, very expensive uh, uh, games that ended up, well, as it turns out, ends up producing a lot of infrastructure that ends up not getting recycled. So there's there's a lot of reasonably sound, or at least um, not unreasonable. Uh, What's a good word for it? A criticism? Um, no, not skepticism. criticism. Yeah, skepticism. There we go. That's the word. Right. I mean, like you're saying. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, maybe you you were going to go there. The the Olympic, you know, in every case, the Olympics, mm-hmm. they always promise all this stuff, mm-hmm. and the, it the cities always wind up being worse off yeah. in terms of revenue, at least. Yeah. Um, I think always know. is a strong word, but but in every case that I've seen. I want to I want to look more more uh, closely at London because uh, I do have a friend from from London and he did say that uh, he's told me we've had this discussion on the side before and he said uh, transport for London did did walk away with a lot of new projects that finally got pushed through that finally got their funding um, and actually ended up relieving stress on the system where uh, there wasn't previously alternate um, alternate routes. And now, and now enables uh, the uh, tube lines. Actually, I don't think it's called tube lines anymore. But the infrastructure manager who um, who owns the tunnels of the of the tube to actually shut, be able to say, "Hey, we're going to shut down this line so that we can do a full systems upgrade." Uh, say, for example, if we did end up with a, a second line that that goes along, um, uh, what is it, the uh, the Charles River on. Um, uh, what is that called? Something <laughs> the the, on the under the Esplanade yeah. or something like that. Uh, to be able to say, yeah, we're going to shut down the central su- subway for a period of just six months so that we can do the seven hundred million dollar signal systems upgrade that we've been needing to do. You know, mm-hmm. things, small things like that, um, where. Um, if, there's there's a few pieces of infrastructure that aren't really in use anymore. Like uh, I believe it's the Ebbsfleet International Station or whatever it is, where the uh, where the Euro Eurotunnel trains pass through, going out of London and going into France. They don't really use that anymore, from what I understand. The Javelin service, which would take people from Central London out to where the games are, but that's I mean that's not really that much of a pain as compared to say I don't know. New services in London that that well, and I think yeah. what mm-hmm. some of the lines that are being proposed, which are obviously already in the works anyway, right? Um, for this for 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 the Olympic event and for the bid, uh, we would probably like to see some of these um, implemented as subway lines, um, but nobody's proposing that we're going to dig new subways um, for the Olympics. Right. Uh, I think because there's so many projects that have to be done, this isn't like oh. The Olympics are coming, and we can dig this one tunnel, and we're going to be there, and mm. everybody can agree on that. There's so many things that we want to make happen mm. um, that I think instead what we're going to be doing is saying, how can we implement gold standard BRT, Yeah, which we keep talking about, and we're going to have a show on that. Mm-hmm. So I think that this will be the impetus that the city needs to actually get behind 
the tough decisions that come in right. doing on street you know bus rapid transit right. in a way that should be happening this is this is going to also be great for the uh, boston 20 uh, 2030 conversation because a lot of this is going to need neighborhood buy-in we keep saying that you know the city will finally be able to uh get off its back and and uh you know grow a pair and actually go through with some of these improvements but the big problem is also getting the neighborhoods to buy into these ideas and not just continue to have these arguments of you're taking away my parking you're taking away my bike my my not my bike lanes but hopefully installing bike lanes but taking away (laughs) taking away my uh my road lanes and all of this sort of stuff where um they don't see on all they can't see beyond their nose or not even beyond their noses beyond their windshields for you know we'll put it that way be not being able to see beyond their windshields and say you know hey maybe if maybe i would drive less or occasionally i have these conversations with people in passing uh with coworkers with friends where they say yeah i i would not drive x to x place in boston that is accessible by transit if X happens, so um, or maybe we can we can do something. You know, it's okay to to use public resources to do something to benefit these thousands of people, right. as opposed to just me. Right, right, absolutely. Right. Well, I think <laughs> one of the things, um, yeah, I, one of the one of the tweets that that I saw the other day, and they were saying, well, you know, the, the IOC doesn't care about how your citizens are going to get around town. They just care about how you know they're going to have their private vehicles and private shuttles for the athletes and things like that. Okay, so. I think it's a given that there's going to be special Olympic lanes for shuttling athletes, uh, media, and officials back and forth between events. I think we can understand that the athletes are not going to be riding on the red line with us. Um, it wouldn't, wouldn't be maybe, too bad maybe of a problem. Happen, but I, I, just, you know. <laughs> I totally understand that if that's the case. But the positive I see to that is, okay, so we have all these special Olympic lanes. Maybe that gets us used to the idea of on our city streets having a lane that is only for certain vehicles. Right. So maybe we can just keep those lanes, and instead of having Olympic rings, we'll say, you know, a rapid transit lane or something like that. Or for the people rather than just for the Olympic. Yeah, uh, I don't right. know how I feel about that. I mean, that's a really interesting. I mean, you're essentially saying, like, these are the elites that can travel in their special lane. And yeah. That's an interesting feeling, uh, you know, as opposed to, like, what we've been talking about is, like, you know, having the bus. I mean, these are not the elites, you right. know. But right. uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, well, a lot of those lanes are going to be, because of the way the proposed venues are sited. Um, they're cited in a way that they're, they're they're in locations that need improved transit anyway. Mm-hmm. So many of these special event lanes are actually going to be going down corridors where we're already hoping to implement BRT. Right. So I could sort of see it as we kind of get used to the idea, and then maybe we just go ahead and just leave that paint there for a while and start running our buses down it. It's sort of a way to get there. Mm-hmm. Or or they could they we could be building we could build. Uh, Express um, express run through lanes for mm-hmm. so that we yeah. so that we both get the BRT and the, the express lanes that they need for, uh, for exactly exactly yeah, that's a BRT BRT that their buses can use no, our buses can use it too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly so, I don't want bus lanes I want like I want like fucking like you know concrete and yeah you know like barriers and you know I don't want these flexible posts or any of that nonsense. I want like this stuff that like if you drive your car into it, it's going to get destroyed. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Those are good points. You're right. I mean, I think we should if there's an opportunity for BRT, we should implement BRT before the Olympics and, and, and have th- that be the Olympic lane also. I think the biggest challenge going back to what we've been saying and 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 kind of the crux of our the the main reason why we felt the need to actually make a disclaimer is because when you mention the Olympics and then you mention infrastructure, it immediately becomes a conversation about 
Olympics. So then, uh, you know, just to hopefully not bring up a few scabs here, the 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 PR nightmare that was the 28X, um, that this could be a uh, a 28X all over again if we're not careful about the way that this is this is approached because we do have the 2020. Uh, Olympics for 2024, and the overlapping uh, search for the uh, Boston 2030 plan, and so um, we're gonna we're gonna see some interesting stuff out there and, and interesting arguments. All right, so we've been talking a lot of abstraction here, and we keep saying you know these projects and these improvements. So I think we'll go ahead and just go through and, and list some of them. Um, I think most of the listeners will be familiar already, but some of the uh, projects that were um, mentioned, um, actually, they, they basically listed out most of the projects that are already in the, in the quote-unquote pipeline, um, but but they're, they're going to be relying for the games on uh, to be inc- including the following, the Green Line extension and vehicle procurement and installation of a crossover track at Park Street to allow a turnaround there. Um, and once I just want to say, we don't know if all these things will happen, but these are the things that they were talking about yeah, yes. <laughs> would, 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 help, would help the Olympic effort. A Silver Line extension to Chelsea. That's already Which is already in exactly. its... Yeah. <laughs> Power yeah. and signal upgrades to the green, orange, and red lines. And that's one where the funding sources are to be determined. Yep. But and wouldn't that be great if that could yep. happen? And we've talked about that in the, our green line updates that uh, uh, that we recent, that <laughs> happened this summer. So, And the reason the Olympics are going to want to lean on that heavily is because that will help with um, uh, headways and capacity. Yep. Uh, heavy rail improvements. Uh, they weren't specific about which ones they were. Uh, it was only a $4 million line item, so I'm not really sure which heavy rail improvements they're talking about. New cars uh, slash vehicles on the, oh, I already mentioned on the red and the orange line, but also the commuter line. Talking about new vehicles there also. System-wide commuter rail infrastructure upgrades. That was a $23 million uh, line item. Uh, sp- speaking specifically to capacity expansion was what that line item was. Enhanced bus service. You see, these next two are, I think are pretty interesting. Enhanced bus service, Harvard to JFK UMass. That's a $140 million line item with a to-be-determined financing. Enhanced bus service from North Station to the waterfront, $60 million to be determined. So that's the same price as the Silver Line expansion to Chelsea. Um, and that's another one we've talked about several times, is North Station to South Station to the seaport. Mm-hmm. Um the the, uh, the the bus service talking about between Harvard and JFK UMass, they actually have that shown on their map. So that would be, um, what is that, the CT3, basically, Jeremy? You're thinking of the CT1, which is like a kind of a, a weird bastardized version of uh, Route 1, uh, one of the key bus routes. And um, they go to slightly different places. Um, neither one goes all the way to JFK UMass, but it is kind of the extension of that corridor. So there, now this is one of the ones that was interesting. A, a new JFK UMass bus platform, $60 million. Relocation of local bus support facilities to be paid for by land acquisitions. This is one where they're saying the land that changes hands to make this happen will pay for itself. Uh, implementation of a DMU network, $400 million. To be determined financing. They specifically were mentioning Newton to South Boston, um, which I guess, you know, they're talking about they're, they're highlighting the, the Grand Junction line, but then they're also highlighting what's been discussed previously on the show, uh, the Track 61, trying yes. to connect Back Bay to the BCEC yes. all the way to the Dry Dog. So that would be effectively BR, B, uh, DMU, rather, exactly. uh, Phase 2 after uh, after right. doing it on um, Fairmount. So. Of course, they're, they're touting the government center upgrades that are in progress, South Station expansion, $2.3 billion. 
they were hoping that that would happen, especially because so many of the venues would be sited right there near South Station, that that expansion would be pretty necessary, especially if we are implementing the DMUs already by that time also. A $20 million North Station expansion? Do you guys know what is planned for the expansion at North Station? That's my first time hearing about no, anything yeah. going on. $20 million isn't a huge price tag for that. So North, North Station sure was expanded. The commuter rail facility was expanded. Maybe that might be two, uh, $20 million for the activation of those two spare tracks that, have, that just kind of sit on the far left... Uh, it's not my understanding that they actually need those for the current operations, right. but maybe there's something planned. I don't know. This is speculation. If anybody knows, you should let us know. Okay. Um, of course, they also talked about the South Coast Rail to New Bedford and Fall River that we've talked about previously on this show, which I think comes in around $2.2 billion. Um, the new West Station at Beacon Yards, uh, it's a multimodal station at $75 million. Um, that would be an extremely important station for, for making this Olympic Games happen. There's many uh, venues that are being situated near and around uh, that part of Alston. And I believe that uh, Harvard is already uh, throwing in some, some money on that. So Right, this is one that is partially privately funded yes. with, with, with uh, Harvard and potentially BU, we're thinking, maybe? Um the uh, but the interesting thing here is that they would um, also be implementing some of the north south connections to um, the Beacon Park um, mm-hmm. to, to yeah. that station. If you could, I mean, the thing is, if you could have if you could have frequent enough service on that, you know, with DMUs on that track, you know, say every ten fifteen minutes, you could start running some kind of shuttles like from Cambridge or from Brighton or other places, like sort of north south shuttles, like feeding that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if they're frequent enough, and then you have, like, that rapid connection, you just pick up the train and you're in downtown, right. and that opens up a new way of getting around. Yeah, absolutely. And especially especially if it can take a little bit more pressure off the central subway with people using the green line. Right, and it's a lot of these things we talk about, these, these cross-town connections, you know, yep. these, these enhanced bus routes. A lot of what this does is address capacity in the core because there's so many people that are going that are just doing the green line to red line thing, you know, or whatever because of habit. Or because, you know, the buses are not frequent enough or whatever. And, right. you know, we can solve a lot of that. Yeah. Now, the, um, the the red line vehicle overhaul is also a part of this. And they're saying that's $53 million. I'd heard about this before. I didn't remember what the number was that was associated with that. But they would also um, hope that, the re- that that overhaul would be done by the time the Olympics came through. Um, now, the next few that I was going to mention are are also ones that have not been financed, and these are more, it seemed like, Olympic-specific types of improvements. And this was, the first one is one that was definitely thrown out on Twitter as an example of, of perhaps uh, overreach and spending public money. Largesse. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're talking about the, the Morrissey Boulevard um, slash Columbia Road improvements and reconstruction, including a new I-93 ramp at UMass. Um, this is a to-be-determined funding. But they were saying, interestingly, that this would be a public-private um, partnership as far as the financing would happen on this. So do, do you guys know anything about that project and whether it's on the books already or not? Another thing specifically about the uh, what they're what they're calling the Olympic Village, what they would put over there, uh, but there is already a lot of development that's private private dollars that are being thrown into that area at the moment, or actually even before the Olympics announcement. So uh, if anything, it could be, it could unlock, uh, it, they could pull money from developers who are interested in, mm-hmm. in, in throwing their hats in for, for constructing the Olympic Village, but I I honestly that's 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 just pure speculation yeah. at this point. We don't have Well there's a few other items that they that they mentioned in the bid that would be paid for out of um, 
the cost of just building the venue, and those include uh, one of the roads over there in Columbia Point for the Athletes Village, mm-hmm. um, the Alston Beacon Yards uh, temporary. They're saying they're calling it Alston Beacon Yards temporary slash legacy improvements. So there's some of the improvements that would happen in that area would be paid for by the venues cited there. What I really hate to see is that is this process of you know in all Beacon Yards that we you know we've been trying to you know think about what this is going to look like after the Mass Pike straightens itself and you know frees up all the space and what i really hate to see is for that to be sort of taken up and planned really badly Mm -hmm. the network designed really badly to accommodate like a big stadium or something Mm -hmm. and then we were not able to really get its full potential because of what has been built there it's it's very close to downtown and it's in its prime it's a prime location for 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 some really intense development, but also for a better a better network than what has previously been there, where basically Alston has been cut off from that island that's just kind of on the other side of, of I-93. So, yeah, we do have an opportunity. We have a blank slate for a better neighborhood, um, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. I think, Jeremy, I mean, that's. I think that's the, the yeah. biggest, the absolute biggest risk is having these things happen faster because they have to happen the risk is that in the haste, they won't be done in the way that would give us the best mm-hmm. legacy. Losing for that area, yeah, kind of not not cutting corners so much as just kind of glossing over the details and and then and then losing losing the neighborhood character out of that. So I mean, yeah. not that there's so. much character in this non-existent <laughs> neighborhood to begin with, but. Um, and the last thing they they said, um, as far as venue funded improvements, would be in the South Boston waterfront. Yeah. Which so you know we've talked about those a lot, and if some of those could be paid for by the games. You know that sounds that sounds great. Also, if that was to happen. So, as, as I looked over this list, um, and I, I think I mentioned before that I, I counted up around eight hundred million in financing that hasn't been sourced yet. But as I looked through the list, um, I kind of thought, based on the venues they're citing, based on the the transportation improvements they're they're touting. And based on the transportation that would be, um, if not needed, highly helpful for the games, if we overlay that with the needs that our community is already feeling acutely, um, we can identify a lot of areas that are that are exciting, not as far as necessarily specific line items that they've discussed, but areas that are exciting for us to advocate for, that if this is going to happen, whether it's just going to be a bid that we lose or whether it's actually going to be Olympic Games, there's a lot of things that we want to make sure we, we get out of this as far as from the transit component. Yep. Um, so, of course, the things that were mentioned uh, are good, but a few of the others uh, I've, I didn't see mentioned anywhere that I think we'd be remiss not to mention and not to advocate for. I think these are things that we should push for. Um, the Fairmont Corridor. Not really mentioned. They talked about DMU implementation. They weren't talking about the Fairmont Corridor because we know it's going to happen there first. It should be happening before that. But we really want to make sure the Fairmont Corridor happens um, and happens right. And the Fairmont Corridor actually goes pretty close to Franklin Park, which is talking about Franklin Park being a a pretty important venue um, for a lot of the events involving horses. And and also White Stadium, because they talked about White Stadium being um, completely perhaps redone for this uh, event. So I'm, I'm thinking the Fairmount Corridor could stand to really get some concentrated um, investment. And also, um, talking about BRT earlier, the Silver Line could be completely... Uh, which, which is the Silver Line? SL5? Is that the one that goes down to Dudley? Uh, SL5, yeah. 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 So completely overhauling that to be the actual BRT that we've always wanted it to be and taking it all the way down to Mattapan with a stop, at least for the games, at, at Franklin Park. 
Um, I see that as being a great uh, thing that could happen that we should be asking for. Um, we mentioned earlier the special lanes for Olympic traffic bringing about the reality of, of BRT. Maybe that's just my opinion, but I think that that, that could happen. Um, and I'm also seeing, you know, the BRT to Silver or to the Silver Line to City Point. That wasn't mentioned uh, in the in the bid, but that's something that is part of the South Boston Waterfront um, transportation plan. Um, and then I think another thing is just upgrades of key routes generally. We we've, we seem to be in a constant process of identifying and improving key routes. This could be the real opportunity to take those key routes, and even if they can't be BRT, to make some real improvements that, that need to be done. Mm. And uh, more sixty foot buses. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I think this would be a great opportunity to um, all the planning that has happened with the South Boston Waterfront to really make it stick. So I don't know what, what your guys' thoughts are about some of these things that, that I've listed off. You know, I definitely put some 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 time thinking about you know the needs, but um, those are some things that I think we should continue to to advocate for, even if Boston twenty twenty four the campaign the bid itself doesn't emphasize. Yeah. I think we really need to focus on addressing this long-standing issue of we need more service, but we don't have the resources in terms of staff, we don't have the vehicles, and we don't have a place to put them. And we really need to focus on increasing the fleet size and dealing with issues of bus maintenance and storage. New facilities to store buses uh, that can be made permanent and built in good, convenient places with minimal disruption to uh, surrounding uses and uh, you know that's what we really need if we're going to be increasing uh, the service we really need to increase the fleet size which means we need a place to store and maintain all these new vehicles and I say this because um, every discussion that we've had with the MBTA in terms of you know trying to increase service the the T automatic response is we don't have the money and if we did have the money we don't have the vehicles and if we did have the vehicles we don't have a place to put them so this is a constant thing that comes out of the t and uh because that's you know they know what they're dealing with and that's what they're dealing with and so we uh we need to focus on that and of course the long-term operating costs these things are you know it's nice if somebody comes in and pays the capital costs but um, as as goes with with all kinds of projects, um, you know this has been going on for decades. Is that you know we'll build something and you know we don't we don't put in extra money to operate it, and you know now we get stuck with the long term operating costs. The project might be great, but um, funding is important as well. These stand alone from the Olympics. These are these are projects that uh, that we had been previously in our in our. Uh, uh, strategizing meetings outside of the, our podcast recordings had been talking about is is what as transit matters what do we want to advocate for and what do we want to bring into into the public consciousness and um, I think uh, BRT keep we keep throwing that around but it's a it's a major opportunity to get some level of subway like service without all of the capital cost the disruption and um, and simply delays in, in, in actually getting that service online that that we need here in Boston, especially if we want to um, if we if we want to stay viable as as a as an economy. Even though even though gas prices are very very relatively low, it's another thing that we can talk about at another another point. Um, but they're not going to be they're not going to stay low, and they're currently artificially low. Um, they're not going to stay that low for for very long, or or at least. Uh, long enough that apparently it, it seems like 
Um, transit ridership goes up when you when you increase gas taxes, but then it's not gas taxes, gas prices. But as it turns out, when you reduce them, people don't immediately go back to transit. So um, this is a big opportunity here. Uh, and you can't run a big city and accommodate the increase in population and right. all the rest with the cars. Exactly. Yes, and that's that's going to be the big thing. Well, because I mean. It, it 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 relieves pressure on a lot of other points where, say for example, the new development where where we keep talking about oh we need a one to one parking ratio because of all of the people who drive to work or the people who drive out to you know one twenty eight or whatever, um, enabling those people to get to work or other places with BRT within uh, within the Boston area um, or at least attracting people who can live here who don't own a car and who can work downtown or and and bringing more uh workplaces from the outer core back into 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 Boston proper so um it's it's also a lot for 9 years i mean don't yeah. forget we we can't forget that this is only 9 years away uh i i i see 2024 in my head and i think oh yeah that's that's really far off somehow my brain is still in 2005 so <laughs> yeah, this is like 100 years worth of projects and, yeah. uh, you know if you look based on the past 100 years this is like about what we would come yeah. and so a lot of people i think a lot of people are admittedly once they once they actually once they see these these proposals lined up with what was previously mentioned before the Olympics was even brought up as a as an as a concept, is that these people are first going to realize like, wait a second, this is all we're asking for. This is all we're really going to be getting out of this. Um, you know, but a twelve point four billion price tag. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, just the same way that people that's, were. That's approaching the price of the big dig. Right. Uh, well, uh, except we're getting a lot out of it. So. Right, we're a lot more, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, imagine again. Okay, I'm a, I should uh, get off my soapbox. But I mean, imagine if we spent. Imagine if that fifteen with twenty billion dollars, whatever it was, with the big dig. Imagine if we just tore the damn thing down. Oh yeah, and just. Spent it on something, or just let it fall down. Yeah. No, I, you get on your soapbox because I'll get up there with you. It's uh, you know we can't we can't really change the past, but we can certainly make our, make sure that we don't do that again. Yes, yeah, so we so. have the opportunity, like you said. Yeah, that's that's we we gotta not not lose this. I yeah. think. I mean, I think even if this did happen, I think we would all we're all going to end up experiencing disappointment in certain stages. I think there's going to be amongst all these projects, I, all of them can't happen. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be winners and losers, and I think we're going to be disappointed. When sometimes the winners are chosen because of Olympic expediency reasons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over maybe projects that we would see more pressing but aren't as helpful for the Olympics. So that that's going to be an issue, right. I think, if, if it was to actually happen. I mean, it almost seems like sometimes the best case scenario would be we do all this work and we bid and we don't get it because then we still, you know, have all these projects that are, are going to happen, mm-hmm. but they just don't have to happen by 2024. Right. So, uh, I mean, th- this this is a perfect time now to kind of bring it uh, back here. Small mention that um, we are absolutely thrilled the fact that Rich Davy now has a job again, um, and he's been in, he's been uh, named as executive director of Boston 2024. So um, that said, it, it might be a great opportunity. He he's he said that he intends to, or at least this is an opportunity to continue the work that he has basically staged as uh, MBTA general manager and then successively as the secretary of transportation that there are a lot of projects. I remember the last time I was stuck on a red line train with him, ironically enough, um, at uh, Charles MGH, he did, we were at that point, we were actually still talking about um, 
the Park Street uh, crossover or changing changing the configuration of Park Street as one of his things that he wanted to do as ongoing projects as general manager. This was way back in, I want to say, 2010 when, when we were actually stuck on the train together because we were just coming from a press release where they were announcing the, uh, the bus tracking for, uh, for the initial routes. So that was the first press conference. So this is a conversation that has been going on for a while, and I think, I think Rich Davey, uh, I really do hope... Uh, I mean, obviously, he has a lot of other interests other than transportation. But having had the background that he has and his experience with it, um, I think this will be – if it does happen and if it must happen, then he is a good person to have in that seat to also make sure that 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 the projects that Boston needs get done instead of all of these other projects that either IOC feels like they should happen or otherwise other – Olympics, spe- specialized Olympics projects, which, um, again, we haven't seen much of, but it's still very early in the game, and, you know, we we have, we basically, we need leadership to make sure that it doesn't kind of creep in there over the next nine years or so. I, I see him being the, the link between, I mean, the people on the Boston 2024 committee, a lot of this, the nucleus there, th- these are people who don't have to take public transportation. Yeah. Um, Except for Rich Davey. <laughs> these people have lots of money. And I see him as being the connection between um, their their desires to host this and want to do it right, yeah. but maybe not having not not understanding the ground level of what really needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And he's got that realistic perspective of, I come from transportation. I ride transportation. I ride this. <laughs> and I spent years going to town hall meetings all over the state, yeah. talking to the people. Mm-hmm. So I think he really brings some gravity to what happens. Yeah. And I think he's the guy that I want in the room. If there's a conversation about doing what's expedient versus what's good for the legacy of the Commonwealth on a transportation perspective, right. he's the guy that I would want in the room. Absolutely. So that's really encouraging. Yeah. Well, I, while I agree with, uh, with one of our other, uh, uh, Twitter followers that, yeah, I'd rather see Rich Davey in a position where he's not having to necessarily be bound by the Olympics bid, but since it's, since he is there and, uh, you know, it's the, let's make the best of a, a bad, well, I'm not going to call it a bad situation, um, but uh, whatever direction the Olympics goes, we're um, we're happy to see uh, Rich yeah. Davey at the helm. And yeah, let's not put it all on him. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of other stuff that other people have to do, including us. Oh, know, of course, yeah. You know, getting involved and, and you know, advocating, and they, they have public meetings coming up. There's a public meeting January 27th in Suffolk Law School, for example. Um, there are a whole bunch of others on Olympic uh, public meetings. Do you know anything about this? Um, that reminds me, there was this um, this thing that the Friends of the Public Garden has, has sent around, saying that there's a proposal to build a. Uh, a yeah, stadium they're, they're citing they're citing the volleyball stadium on the guard or on on the commons, and so the Friends of the Public Garden, of course, uh, sent put a, sent a letter to the Globe, or they, they sent it publicly to the Globe, saying, you know. We weren't consulted about where the stadium is going to be put. If you look at the renderings, uh, there's some trees that would have to be knocked down for it to be put here. Um, now, what Boston 2024 has said um, prior to this letter going out was they said, you know, first of all, these are all just like proof of concept ideas. But second of all, when they discussed the common, they said their priority was this would be the chance for us to reinvest in the common in a way that we haven't done yes. since 1630. And um, since it's, you know, Boston's front yard, 
um, to really going forward from the going past the Olympics for have that to be a legacy investment in the public yeah. garden or in the, in the gardens and the common. Um, that's it's, it's definitely concerning if there's going to be you know trees that are knocked down and things that are dug up. I definitely see that as sort of like the opening discussions. Right. Well, but they're taking the same stance that we are. We're in the sense that this is a great opportunity to have to to gain the public interest in doing these things that, you know, they're worthwhile projects and we love the common, we love to support the friends of the common, but, you know, hey, they didn't happen before, so, and now we have, we have a lot of this interest around these projects, so, uh, rallying people behind concrete things that can happen and then ident- matching that up with potential funding sources is, uh, it's, by not doing that, you're being stupid, so... It's, uh, this, is the, this is the opportunity to do that. I guess we'll start to wrap up there. Um, that's pretty much almost all the time that we have today. Be sure to check out our blog at transitmatters.info. Follow and engage us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Though we don't have much content on there. Uh, and if you really <laughs> like email, send us your comments and questions to feedback at transitmatters.info. You can follow Jeremy uh, Mendelson at, uh, on Twitter at Critical Transit. You can follow me, uh, Mark Ibunya, on the main Transit Matters uh, Twitter account. And you can follow Josh over at uh, hashback31, also on Twitter. Hey, that was my line. Sorry. I feel like you read my line. I'm not going to forget that. <laughs> I ended up reading all of our lines.